Well, turn with me, please, to John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6, or to the passage in the order of service. John 14, verse 1 to 6. And let's pray. Bye-bye, Alice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We ask that the Spirit of Christ would help us to hear the word of Christ, that each of us would know what it is to receive the life of Christ and to walk on the way of Christ. Amen. We've got a slide here. I'm going to tell you two stories from Edinburgh, okay? So first story involves this man. Anybody know who he is? Anybody recognize him? Blank faces all that. David Livingstone, that's a good guess, but it's not the one. Is it me? Who said that? Who said that? No, it's not me. Um, okay, let's uh, let's see who it is. That's Robert Louis Stevenson, author of Treasure Island, Kidnapped, and The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. No more comments about me, please. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson was born in Edinburgh, uh, died a young man, and he once said this, he once wrote this in one of his books. He said, to travel hopefully is a better thing than to arrive to travel hopefully is a better thing than to arrive. I wonder what you think of that. Uh, Stevenson did travel a lot. He traveled to France, to America, to the USA, to the Pacific Islands. And as you may know, he actually died on the island of Samoa. And that's, uh, that's where he ended his days. But maybe he enjoyed traveling more than arriving. Maybe he was disappointed by what he found when he got there. I couldn't help but think that this time of year, from now on, of course, the shops are already beginning to fill up with Christmas things. But there's there's a Christmas tradition, isn't there, in Britain? Almost every year, it seems, every year in Britain, there is a Christmas tradition of someone setting up a Christmas wonderland, a Christmas theme park. And families pay money, their tickets, and the children are in the cars. They're full of excitement on the journey. They're full of enthusiasm. And then they get to what is a muddy field with a little bit of tinsel and tinsel and cotton wool on a on a on a bale of straw or something like that. To travel hopefully is a better thing than to arrive. But if you were to ask the passengers on the ship the Titanic, is it better to travel hopefully than to arrive? I think they would answer, well it's better to travel hopefully and arrive. Preferably in one piece. So here's the second story from uh, Edinburgh. There's no picture for this. Not going to name the man here. But he was professor of practical theology at Edinburgh University, professor from about 20 years ago. And he said, when he was talking to some of us, he said, the journey is more important than the destination. The journey is more important than the destination. I wonder what you make of that. I wonder what you make of that. I mean, if you come here from Ukraine, I wonder what you would say. Was the journey more important than the destination where you arrive? 
It's hard to separate the two, isn't it? If you set off on a journey, say you set off down the A9, the road that, let's say, let's go south from Inverness, you will come to Aviemore, to King Yussi, you'll come to the House of Brewer, you'll come to the Motor Grill at Ballinuig, you'll come to Dunkel, and you'll come to Perth. Your journey, the road you take, will take you to these destinations. But equally, equally, your destination will determine the road you take. Isn't that right? If you want to visit King Yussi or the House of Brewer, you will most likely, in a car that says you'll most likely go down the A9, unless it's closed. So the two, the journey and the destination are closely connected and cannot easily be separated. So Robert Louis Stevenson says to travel hopefully is better thing than to arrive. The professor says the journey is more important than the destination. But what does the Bible say? What does Jesus say? And what does Jesus say in John 14, verse 1 to 6? Well, the first thing that we can say from this passage is that Christians travel hopefully because the better thing is ahead of us. The better thing is ahead of us. That's why Christians are able to travel hopefully. The better thing is to arrive at our Father's house where Jesus has prepared a place for us and all his people. We travel with hope because of what lies ahead of us. And secondly, we see from this passage that Christians cannot separate the journey from the destination. You cannot separate the road you take from where you arrive, for they are both rooted in Jesus Christ. For Christians, Jesus is the way and Jesus is the destination. The Apostle Paul says that in Philippians chapter 1. For example, he says in Philippians 1 verse 21, to live is Christ. If you like that as the journey of the Christian life, he says to live is Christ. And then he says to die is gain. You think, well, how can you gain more than Christ? What does he mean by gain? If to live is Christ and to die is gain, well, he tells us in the next couple of verses, in verse 23, he says, what he means by gain is to be with Christ, which is better by far, to be with Christ. So to live is Christ on the journey, to die, to gain, is to be with Christ, which is better by far. So in the Christian faith, Jesus is the beginning of our journey. He is the middle of our journey, and he is the end, the goal, the destination of our journey. And you cannot separate the two. Now look with me at John 14, verse 1. We read there that the disciples are troubled. The disciples are troubled. They are upset and worried. Jesus has told them he is leaving them, that he is going away, and they cannot follow him. Chapter 13, verse 33, and 13, verse 36. And more than that, he's just told them that Peter, their leader, big, strong, outspoken Peter, is going to deny him, is going to disown him. Not just once, but three times. No wonder their minds are spinning and their hearts are troubled, upset and anxious. Now, we are not in exactly the same situation as the disciples, are we? But we do know 
we do know what it is to have our hearts troubled, do we not? It can be any number of things to do with our, our lives at home, with our families, with our work situation, with going back to school, with all kinds of things that lie ahead of us. Often it is to do with things in the future as well, isn't it? It's not just, not just the present, but the future. Our hearts are easily troubled. But what does Jesus recommend? Jesus, the master physician, what treatment does he recommend for a troubled heart? What is his prescription? Well, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, or you believe in God. It can be translated either way. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe also in me. The medicine Jesus gives us for a troubled heart is to trust in God and in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Son of God who is God the Son. And notice how Jesus puts himself on the same level as God. Do you see that? He is saying, if you trust in God, then trust in me, for my word is God's word. My promises are God's promises. And in the Old Testament, we read that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. The word of God lasts forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8. But then in the New Testament, listen to what Jesus says. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. My word endures forever as well, because my word is God's word. So believe in me, says Jesus, and trust me when I say, trust me when I say in my Father's house are many rooms. Believe me when I say I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And believe me when I say I will come back to take you to be with me that you may be where I am. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. When things fall apart, when your world falls apart or things are threatening to fall apart, trust, trust in Christ. Do not lose hope. The best is yet to come. Well, here's a question. How does Jesus prepare a place for us in his Father's house? When you read that verse, I wonder what do you think? Do you think is Jesus choosing curtains, carpets, furnishings? I don't think so. The preparation that Jesus is speaking of is what he does by his going. Do you notice that? Jesus could have said, he could have said, I am preparing a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, but he says twice, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go, it is in the going that he prepares a place for us. What do I mean by that? It is by his death and his resurrection and his ascension that he prepares a place for us. It is by his going and the manner of his going through the cross and through the resurrection and through the ascension that he prepares a place for us. And that is why Jesus says in chapter 13, verse 33, where I am going, you cannot come. You cannot, you cannot go the way that I am going. 
because only I am able to prepare a place for sinners. Only I, says Jesus, by my death and resurrection and ascension can prepare a place for you. And that is what I'm going to do. I'm going through the cross, through the resurrection, through the ascension to prepare a place for you in my Father's home. Only Jesus can do that. Oh, yes, we can follow him in the sense of following him to his Father's home. And even in one sense, perhaps, as many Christians have suffered, like many of the apostles, die for the faith, but not in the same way as Jesus died. Because only Jesus has suffered for our sins and only Jesus has defeated death and Satan. Only Jesus can prepare a place at home with his Father. But then that raises a question, doesn't it? If Jesus is preparing a place for us in his Father's house by his going, how do we get there? How do we get there? Look at verse 4. Jesus says to his disciples, you know the way to the place where I am going. Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I am going. But good old Thomas, good old Thomas, is he someone who struggles a bit? How does he ask this question, do you think, in despair, frustration, a bit gloomy, maybe? Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus has talked about his father's house, hasn't he? But to the disciples, that could mean the temple. That's how Jesus described the temple earlier in John's, his father's house. We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Uh, there's a great comment by, there's a man called John Trapp. You may not have heard of him, but he was a 17th century commentator. And uh, his, his whole Bible commentary is full of kind of pithy uh, sayings. And he says, Thomas is like a man searching for his keys when all the time they're in his pocket. That's, that's good, isn't it? And we've all been in that situation where you look for your, where are my glasses? Where are my glasses? Can't find them. They're here all the time. Where, where are my keys? Where's my bank card? Thomas is like that. And Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, you know more than you realize. You know the way to the place where I am going because you know me. You know me, Jesus. You know me, Jesus. Thomas, you know me. Because I am the way. I am the way. And the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I notice what Jesus is saying here. Jesus does not just show us the way. He is the way. Jesus does not just teach us the truth of God. He is the truth of God. And Jesus does not just reveal to us how to live a life for God. He is the life of God. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. So if we want to be where Jesus is today in his Father's house, then there is only one way, there is only one truth, and there is only one life that we need to grasp and receive. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Jesus is clear, isn't he? No one comes to God the Father except through him. No one comes to God the Father except through him. He alone is the ladder connecting earth to heaven. Doesn't he call himself like Jacob's ladder, connecting earth with heaven? And that's just 
That's not just because he is a man who is God, so he's connected to humanity and connected to divinity. It is also because he is the only one who can bear the sins of humanity to connect us to God. No one comes to God the Father except through him. Calm, I meant to say to put up the, the slide, the second slide after the Robert Louis Stevenson one, just to leave it up. Paul writes, there is one God, doesn't he, and one mediator between God and mankind, one mediator, one go-between the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Peter on the, in the streets of Jerusalem, doesn't he say salvation is found in no one else, no one else other than Jesus, because there is no other name given to us under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus says to us today from our passage, I am the way, Thomas, and all of us, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. No one comes to God the Father through nature. No one comes to God the Father through religion. No one comes to God the Father through coming to church. No one comes to God the Father through Buddha or Muhammad, or Ying and Yang. No one comes to God the Father through Krishna or Shiva. No one comes to God the Father through doing your best and hoping for the best. No one comes to God through their parents' faith or their grandparents' faith. No one comes to God the Father through Mary, the mother of Jesus, or the saints of old, or any icons. Jesus says no one comes to God the Father except through me. I am the way and the truth and the life. Now you might be thinking that sounds very exclusive. Sounds very exclusive. And it is. It is exclusive. Because you see, God is not like a destination down the road. And you might think, well, you can get to Perth going by Aberdeen and Dundee as well as down the A9. God is not a city with different roads leading to it or leading to different, different roads leading to the center. He's not a mountain with different roads up the mountain. No, God is personal. He is a personal, and the personal God has revealed himself, has chosen to reveal himself in a person. Jesus Christ. God is a personal God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And if God has chosen to reveal himself in a person, and more than that, chosen to rescue his people, to redeem his people in a person, through a person, Jesus Christ, then it has to be the case. It has to follow that Jesus alone is the way to God. People, people like to say, don't they sometimes, I like to think of God as, well, we don't get to choose what we like to think of God as. God has shown us what he is like. He has revealed himself in Jesus. He has come to rescue us and redeem us in Christ. And therefore it follows that Christ alone is the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to God the Father except through him. As Bruce Milne has said, the exclusiveness of Christ's salvation is simply the uniqueness of his divine person. 
the exclusiveness, the one-offness, the uniqueness, as it were, of Christ's salvation is simply a reflection of the uniqueness, the one-offness of his divine person. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But here's the thing. And if you've been here any while at all, you'd have heard me say this before. Although the way of salvation is unique and exclusive, because Jesus himself is unique and exclusive, Jesus is, as the M&S advert goes, Marks and Spencer's advert, exclusively for everyone. He is exclusively for everyone. That is for everyone who puts their trust and faith in him as their king and as their Lord and as their saviour. You say exclusively for everyone, James? That's what Jesus has promised. Jesus has promised, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. John chapter 6, verse 37. Whoever comes to me, whoever, whoever includes you and me, whoever, Whoever comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I will never. What does never mean? Never means never. I will never drive away. And that is why Jesus, yes, he is exclusively the way, the truth and the life. But he is exclusively for everyone who embraces him and accepts him and receives him and welcomes him as the way, the truth and the life. And as our only our only hope of salvation. So let me ask you as we come to a close, have you done that? Have you done that? Have you put your faith and trust? Do you believe in Jesus Christ as the only way to be reconciled with God? The only way to know the truth of God? The only way to receive and to live the life of God? For Jesus is the only one who has paid the price for our salvation and the only one who has prepared the place for us in heaven. Got a little book here, uh, Thomas Akempis, you may have heard of him, probably most famous for writing a book called The Imitation of Christ, way back in the 14th century, Thomas Akempis. And towards the end of this book, he says this, you may recognize the words, even if you didn't know who wrote them. He says, without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you are Christian this morning, if you already know Jesus as your God and as your Lord and your Savior, Jesus calls us, doesn't he? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. In this world of war and famine and economic and political chaos, Jesus calls us to trust in God and to trust in him. The one who has gone before us, who has gone and by his life and death and resurrection and ascension have prepared a place for us. The one who will one day come for us that we may be with him in his father's house which is better by far than any amount of traveling. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the great gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that even when his own heart was disturbed and troubled by what lay ahead of him, his first thought was to comfort his disciples. And still, Lord, you come to comfort us with the word of the gospel and the hope of the gospel, that you are still the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through you. Father, we thank you that though your son's life and death for us is exclusive, that he is the only saviour, we thank you that that offer is open to anyone, that he has promised whoever comes to him, he will never drive away. And Father, if we've never done it before, then today we come and bow before Jesus. We come with empty hands. We come confessing our sin. We come saying, we need you, Lord. We need your forgiveness. We need to be reconciled with God. We need forgiveness. We need freedom from sin and from Satan's clutches. Have mercy on us and according to your promise, forgive us our sins and bring us home to our God in heaven. In whose name we pray, amen. Amen.